Hello and welcome to another episode of Once Upon a Nightmare. I am your host Lorraine Purden and I am here to discuss the fictional horrors of the world. Sometimes they may be real, like with this film to an extent, they are out there. I am going back to 1997 to discuss the creature feature that is Anaconda. All right, everybody, double check your gear, make sure it's all on board. I pray you didn't forget your bug spray. They have come to the world's most isolated jungle to explore the unknown Amazon. You ready? I think so. And conduct scientific research to prove the existence of a long lost tribe. Shishama worship giant snakes. Anacondas as gods perfect us. What is this? Anaconda skin. Is snakes up there this big? This skin is three or four years old. Whatever shed it has grown since then. Snakes don't eat people. Oh, they don't? That's it, man. I'm getting the hell back to LA. It's always good to be prepared. Now they are the ones being watched. Do you hear that? The ones being followed. Nobody move. The ones being hunted. There's something down there. That's right. No, I really mean it. I really mean it too. But not by anything human. That's from the cloak. If we help him, then he will help us get out of here alive. Get on the face! Anaconda, when you can't breathe, you can't scream. Don't you keep feeling like you want to sing that Anaconda song every time I say the word Anaconda? It's been in my head for weeks. Anaconda was written by James Bauer, Jim Cash and Jack Epps Jr. and directed by a Louis Losa. It's a 15 and quite a short film, only an hour and a half. The budget was about $45 million and grossed just under $137 million, which is not too bad. It had quite the cast, Jennifer Lopez as Flores, Eric Stoltz as Dr. Kell, Ice Cube as Rich, John Voight as Cerrone, Jonathan Hyde as Westrich, Owen Wilson as Dixon, Carrie Wurer as Calvary, Vincent Castellanos as Mosteo, and Danny Trejo as the poacher. But we must not forget the star of the show, and that is the anaconda itself. And that voice is done by a Frank Welker. The film takes place in the Amazon rainforest, where a documentary film crew are making a film about a long-lost indigenous Amazonian tribe, the Shisharama tribe. While looking for the tribe, they are taken hostage by a snake hunter, Cerrone, who is trying to capture an anaconda because that is where the big bucks is. I didn't realise when watching this film that there were so many films in this franchise. I remember this film coming out and it did get a lot of slack and people did make fun of it. But I actually think it's quite good. Like watching it around this time, it has aged a bit with regards to the CGI, but Overall, I was entertained and I've watched it twice in the past two weeks and I, I do, I like it, but I haven't seen any of the others. But looking at the names and the fact that the Hoff is in one of them, I may have to go and do that. And that other four films are Anaconda's The Hunt for the Blood Orchid in 2004. In 2008, we had Anaconda 3 Offspring. In 2009, we had Anaconda's Trail of the Blood. 
And in 2015, we had Lake Placid versus Anaconda. Now, I like Lake Placid, so I might have to go and watch that one for sure. So the Amazon rainforest does cover a massive part of South America. I didn't realize how big it actually was. It's nearly 60% of it is in Brazil. Now, they did actually go to Brazil to film this near a place called Manaus near Brazil, but some was also done in America. So if you think that this cast was in some nice place somewhere where there's maybe a few frogs and fish in the water, then think again. Brazil is actually home to one of the largest anacondas. It was a 33-foot-long one, three feet across wide, and it weighed about 880 pounds. Now, this anaconda was found in a construction site. They had done a controlled explosion, but I don't think they knew whether it died because of the explosion or because it was already dead, and that just happens to be where it landed. Now, when it comes to them, we tend to think, you know, they would eat humans after watching this, but apparently eating humans is quite rare. They tend to go for larger animals. But in this movie, this green anaconda likes its humans. We do see a lot of other snakes. There's loads in one scene. And apparently this did cause a lot of issues with the cast, no matter what the size of them were, because they were terrified of them and they didn't like being around that many. But the main star of the show was CGI. So that wasn't too bad. They are known for being very speedy in the water, but quite slow on land. And while we see this one a lot during the day, they tend to move about at night as they are nocturnal. And, and they are also cannibals. The female ones being stronger and larger, well, they have been known to partake in eating the smaller male anacondas. So it sucks to be a male anaconda. But as I said, it is about the humans. And straight off the bat, we see it with the poacher. He's living on this boat in the river. The surroundings is absolutely stunning. And we see from the point of view of the anaconda as it's kind of like going through the water, making its way towards this boat. And we know that this thing's big. We haven't seen it at this stage, but we know that this thing's big because it starts smashing through under the boat and you'd need something strong and large to do what's happening here. Now, this poacher, he knows what it is. It's what he does. And he's nowhere to go but up. And he starts panicking. And as he heads up to the top, there's a there's a ladder he heads up there, he brings a gun with him. He doesn't want to die by the anaconda because as we see throughout the film, when someone dies, it's a very painful looking death. But there is a really cool scene where he's at the top and it's obviously the anaconda, but it kind of goes around him. The camera goes around him and it's very slow because that's another thing we see throughout this is how, how the snake taunts them. It's almost like, you know, I'm going to get you but you don't quite know when, but it's going to be any minute. It's really creepy and intense. But we have that short moment there, and then he just shoots himself because he knows that that is the better option than what's about to happen to him. But this beginning with the poacher straight off, it does show us what danger is out there, despite we not seeing anything. And But with the film crew, this documentary crew that's heading out there, they're all getting their stuff together as they're heading out on this big adventure and they seem like really happy about what's going on. But you kind of get the impression that they either don't care or they don't fully grasp the location that they're going to. Now, at this point, though, with the cast, we there's no one you really dislike, but there's no one you really like either. No one's really standing out. You're not really fond of anything. That, that There's nothing there to say, I'm rooting for him. 
yet. But there is someone that comes on quite soon that we don't like, and that is Sarone. Now, he is by far the most evil character there. He is worse than the snake. And straight off the bat, you feel really uneasy about him. He used to be a priest in Paraguay, but he's now a hunter. He is a man of high intelligence. He knows how to survive in this type of place. He's been around for quite some time. So he obviously knows what he's doing because he's still alive. He knows how to hunt. He's very deceptive and he is very manipulative. And he will stop at nothing as we see throughout this whole movie to get what he wants. And that is money. So when we first meet him, he just looks like a man in distress. His boat has stopped and he needs help and it's pouring down with rain. So the crew, being the kind people they are, they take him aboard and tell him, we'll take you where you need to go, which is basically the next river down. And it also comes across like he's a nice guy because he's telling them that he knows where the tribe is and I'll help you. So it's kind of like a you help me, I'll help you type thing. But we see this look as the audience that the others don't see. There's a driver who is Mateo. He's the boat driver. And they both look at each other. And it's that look where you know that they've met before, but they don't want anyone else around them to know that they've met before. And the kindness from Sarone keeps going and keeps going. There's at one point Dixon and Carlberg, they go off for a little bit of jiggy jiggy while listening to sounds in the forest. They're about to be attacked by a boar. He saves them. He's even a hero at one point when Dr. Kell goes into the water and he has like that breathing apparatus on and there's a bee in it and he gets stung by a bee. He stops breathing and Sarone then, without even blinking, performs a tracheotomy. So at this time, it kind of seems like they need him because if anything's going to go wrong, he's one thing he doesn't have, he has no fear. And I think this will be his downfall at the end when it comes to it. But with Dr. Kale, he's not really in this that much because he gets injured quite from the start. So when he has this sting, he ends up being basically in a coma for most of it. But when we see him go into the water, you're kind of like, why are you doing that? Because it was a very dick measuring move and trying to be like the man. And this is why he got into trouble because had he let Cerrone go in, like, now, to be fair to him, he only got into trouble because of Sarone. We find out later that he put a bee in there. But at this time, he doesn't know that. And, you know, if it was between someone that knows what they're doing and someone who's just trying to look like they know what they're doing, send in the guy that knows what he's doing. There's a lot of scenes throughout here when you see people in the water after this with Dr. Kale, because obviously they're they're on a river. So when things go wrong, they they need to go into the water. But they all go in a bit easily. Now, you can see that they're a little bit nervous and they can see that something's might be there and something's going on. But it is an area known for anacondas. And it's also an area known for a large crocodile called the Black Cayman that can reach up to 20 feet long. And that thing likes to eat people. And anacondas eat Black Caymans. So it shows you the size of animals that are roaming around. And when it's in water... Well, you can't, you can't see it, can you? It's too late. It's, it's on top of you before you know. You wonder why anyone goes near these places and I wouldn't touch them. But I, I, if you've got a few minutes, it's only 10 minutes long, go onto YouTube and search the 10 most dangerous animals of the Amazon rainforest to see what you're up against. And the funny thing is, is like there's this little cute frog on there and it's apparently one of the most deadliest creatures on earth. So just because they're little doesn't mean they can't get you. Uh, but definitely go on and have a look. It's, it's, uh, it's nice to watch from, from the UK. So Dr. Kell at this stage, obviously because of the bite, he needs to go to hospital and Cerrone is like, I can, I can take you there. But you can start to see now that the wheels are starting to turn, especially with Flores. And she's like, hang on a second, there's something not quite right about this, but it's not fully out in the open now. You can just see that they're trying to figure it out. They do spot another boat and this is the poacher's boat. 
And this is when we get full confirmation that Matteo and Cerrone know each other, but they also know this poacher because there's a picture in there of the three of them. Now, there is, of course, nothing wrong with knowing each other, but if there's nothing wrong with it, then why are you being so secretive about it? Like, they, they, there was no letting anyone know, oh, this is my friend. They've kept that really quiet. So straight off the bat, you know that something's not right. It's also on this trip to the boat that we do fully see the anaconda in all its glory. But unfortunately, that's at the expense of Mateo. So when they're leaving and coming back, they've got what they wanted. Mateo's a little bit behind and he falls into the water when he's coming off of the boat. And that's when you see the anaconda going for him. And it does it like quite slowly. And it's doing the whole lucky thing that we saw with the poacher. But it's the way it kind of wraps itself around him and the way you're still alive and it's crushing you and you know you're not going to escape from it and then it bites his face and then it's when it opens its mouth and you it's so terrifying because just the thought of it and you know that you're going in there and at this stage you know the rest are not aware that Matteo was gone and they want to go back and search but Cerrone refuses now this is the one time he does refuse to do something at the start because I think he knows he knows what's going on so Rich he goes back. Now, I wasn't the biggest fan of the CGI scenes here. I, they didn't work for me this time. But, you know, it did apparently cost 100 grand per second to do the CGI of the Anaconda. But it would be very different today. So I'm probably being a bit unfair because it's like 25 years old today. So I'm probably being a bit unfair. Um, and I hear that the other Anacondas have really bad CGI in the other films as well so but I haven't seen them so I can't comment but I think I'm being a bit unfair with it but it wasn't enough to put you off now after Danny comes back uh, Rich comes back his name is Danny Rich comes back uh Cerrone feels like it's the time now to say to them he's basically been killed by an anaconda and the way he says it I do like the way he describes this because it's a very strange way to describe someone being you know basically eaten by an anaconda he goes they strike, wrap around you, hold you tighter than your true love, and you get the privilege of hearing your bones break before the power of embrace causes your veins to explode. <laughs> I just love how he describes it, especially the way he says, like, your true love, you know? And so, so it begins. He is a snake hunter. He knows this anaconda is there, and that is when the dollar signs come flying in, and he really wants to capture one alive, and that is it. Game over. Anyone gets in his way is going to die. So Dixon is now aware that you can make money from this and he wants in on it and he goes in and speaks to Cerrone and I want in on it. And I mean, he's such a dick here. It's all about the money. But I don't think he really understands along with the rest of them how big these things actually are because when they actually see one, the shock on their faces. And the capture, of course, doesn't go how they had imagined, you know, and people are being pushed and pulled in all directions. And Dixon thanks to his greed, well, not thanks to his greed, but, you know, karma, is the one that, you know, cops it. And I didn't really think much of this character throughout, to be honest with you. And not because, you know, he was this double-crossing prick in the end, but there just wasn't really anything going on. And that's not a dig at Owen Wilson, because I actually really like Owen Wilson as an actor, but he doesn't really have anything to work off. Even there's one point where he's talking to um, Kahlberg, and it's just like, there's just nothing there, you know? And even when, so he gets, he's the one that gets taken next by the, the anaconda. And even when it does, he, 
he he just looks like he can't be bothered. He doesn't even look that terrified. He just seems like such a lazy person. It's interesting, though, when you see the anaconda take them, the way it whirls its way around them. It's almost like this romantic dance. And you know when you see someone, they're at a dance and someone holds out their hand and they kind of whirl them around. It's like that. And, you know, the the anaconda whirls him into the air. And it is very elegant at this stage. Obviously, the next bit isn't. So after Dixon has been taken, they obviously want to save him. And Flores tries to shoot the anaconda, but Sarone isn't having it. That's worth a lot of money. He's no good to me dead. But to be honest, from the first interaction, you can see with the bones being crushed, I think if you, I don't think you could survive that, like to the extent that he was crushed. So even if the, she had shot it and let him go, I, I don't know, would you survive something like that? And also, you know, as it brings him into the water, so they don't get him out of the anaconda and it brings him into the water and we can see Dixon really up close here and he just lets out this breath and it's so creepy because you know that he's still alive and there's just like no way of survival. So at this stage now, Dixon's gone and Cerrone just, he's just such a dick. He goes over to, in front of his girlfriend, he goes over and he starts performing this service of like the fallen men and all that kind of stuff. It's so bad. And they're like really angry with him. But then he really shows who he is because he brings out the big guns and he basically tells everyone, I'm in charge now. You do what I say. And if you don't, you're going to be killed. But while this is going on, we do get this shot of the anaconda gliding through the water. And in there is a fully formed Dixon with the outline of his body. And it does look like he's almost screaming in there. It's really creepy. So after this, the crew obviously want to get their boat back and be in control. And unfortunately, this means Flores has to seduce Sarone to try and capture him. And she has to kiss him. And we know he's going to be on board for this because there's a scene previously where she's sleeping and he's just like doing this really creepy, lustfully pervy, starey thing at her. But the thing is, it's it's basically him all over. But when he gets caught, he doesn't do what normal people would do and kind of look away and be embarrassed. She's the one that has to close the door to stop him from looking. He doesn't look away. But he is the character in the film that completely dominates it. And you spend more time worrying about him than you do about this bloody snake. And he is a snake himself. Like the way he moves around, he almost slithers around a boat. And his eyes, he does this thing a lot of the time where they're kind of like half closed. And he moves his mouth in a certain way. And he looks like a snake. And, you know, when you think about it, he himself, he's stalking the crew. He's slowly trying to suffocate and kill them all to get what he wants. He's basically the anaconda in human form. So the seduction scene, he knows exactly what's going on, but he still goes along with it because he even turns around and says, it's been a long time since I've had a woman or something. And even when he fully cops on and they know that he's copped on, he kisses her again very aggressively. But, you know, it does work. They do tie him up and they then find the picture of the three of them. So, you know, it's all starting to fall into place a bit more now. But despite the situation, it doesn't stop him from being the snake that he is. So there is an issue with the boat. Others have gone to help. And Kohlberg walks up to him with a knife and he manages to get her between his thighs. He wraps himself around her neck and squeezes the life out of her. And while he's doing this, this is another reason you see him as a snake. He starts making these kind of like hissing sounds but when he looks at her, it's so hateful the way he's looking down at her. And when he's done, he just simply kicks her overboard and manages to get the knife. But while kind of all this is going on, 
you know, the anaconda comes along and he's watching everybody trying to to do something about it. He finds it pretty funny. But it's kind of next, to be honest with you, it was a bit of a shame. So Westridge here is the next to go. And it, I was starting to like him because he was really starting to step up. At the beginning, he was like really a real whinger and a whiner and all this kind of stuff. But he ended up becoming a, a good part of the team and you ended up really liking him. So it was quite a shame when he went. So the end scene here is probably where it really steps up a bit and goes really like full on. And we think at this stage that Cerrone is dead. And that is because Dr. Kell came to and put a gun a dart in his back. And while we think this is the case, it isn't. And he manages then to come to and he captures Flores and Rich. And he now uses them as bait. He puts them in the middle of a net. Now, while they're sat there, we see that the anaconda is coming. Again, we it comes along very slowly. It looks at his prey. When's it going to pounce? It's very sneaky. But when it does grab them, because they're tied together, it obviously two for one, they are then all captured in this net. And it's so scary because they're captured in this net and, you know, they're kind of being crushed. But but to be fair, they, they don't get as crushed as they would have got because the anaconda is panicking. So if anything, them being in this net is the thing that could potentially save them. But it's also one of these things where I love how cocky Cerrone is when he gets exactly what he deserves. So while this is going on, they manage to get out of the net and he still thinks, you know, he's going to get this anaconda, but then the anaconda gets him. And I think this death seems to last a bit longer than all the others as it, first of all, shoots up the ladder and bites him on the shoulder. He can't move. You can see he's like paralyzed. And then we see him get crushed. But when we see him get crushed, we really see the face like bloating out and the pain and the red and all this kind of stuff. And we also, <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. It's so weird. So we're seeing the anaconda eating him, but from Sarone's point of view. So he's looking up into the anaconda as it's going over him. It's so gross because like we know where he's going. He knew where he's going. And then we see the anaconda kind of just taking him down and his feet are like hanging out. It's so gross. And Flores and Rich, they see it all too. And they do try and make their escape. But, you know, this thing wants more. This anaconda just wants more all the time. And they're known for regurgitating food. And they tend to do this when they're frightened or um, in some sort of danger. And they don't want to be slowed down when they have to move around. So in all this chaos and everyone's running around, the anaconda then chases after Flores and it spits out Cerrone right in front of her. And honestly, it's so gross because he's covered in this like weird mucus stuff, but he's still alive. And he just, this is the wink. He just, he's on his knees. He just looks up at her. He kind of like falls on her a bit and she pushes him back. And then he just gives her this wink. And apparently that wasn't scripted. It was something that Voight improvised it on the moment. And it's so ridiculous. But it works because I think someone like Cerrone is the only type of person that could get away with doing something like that. And it just shows how cocky he is to the very end, how he had to have the last word in the sense to the very end. And that's what it felt like when he did it to Flores that, you know, I'm having the last word and also coming across as someone that will never be beaten by anyone, doesn't want to be seen as weak. I mean, he's stuck in an anaconda, gets spit out and is literally like, wink, no biggie. I did think that was quite good. I thought it was brilliant. 
So after he's gone, they still have the problem with the snake. They still have to get rid of the snake. And they do manage to kind of like blow, not blow it up, but kind of set it on fire. But the whole time that was happening, I thought to myself, yeah, but he's going to go in the water, isn't he? So he's just going to put himself out. And that's exactly what happened. So he crashed up through this thing. They thought he was gone, but he wasn't. But then this time he actually is. They do end up killing him in the end. And then that's kind of just how it ends. They just, the three of them just go off in a, in a boat together and that's literally it. But it's, it's a fun movie. It's a good movie. It's definitely worth a watch. Don't take it too seriously and enjoy the creepiness of John Voight because he just takes it to another level. He was great casting in this, I have to say. And uh, yeah, that is my little take on Anaconda. If you want some more stuff behind the scenes, go to Instagram as Once Upon a Nightmare on a podcast and Twitter as A Nightmare Pod and on Facebook as Once Upon a Nightmare. And I will chat to you again very soon. Bye.